Hello and welcome to Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. Well, hello everyone. This is Don Griffith, your podcast host. Today, my guest is Sarah Mayer. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Don. How are you? I am excellent. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're a Toastmaster, right? Yes, I am. Uh, how long have you been a Toastmaster? I have been a Toastmaster since 2016 when I joined my home club, uh, the Junior League of Phoenix Toastmasters. Okay. I've heard of the Junior League. So that's about five years then for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. How did you hear about Toastmasters originally? That's a really interesting question. So I heard about Toastmasters at a junior league meeting. We had a member, her name was Ashley Law, and she was looking to form a Toastmasters club within junior league. I was on stage. I was a leader in the organization at the time. And so I presented on my topic. And shortly after, she sent me a handwritten card which is like the key to my heart. I write about 300 cards a year. And she basically expressed um, that she loved my message and wanted to get to know me further. And when we got to know each other, I heard about her quest to speak more on the topic of eating disorders. And so she had an interest of forming a Toastmasters club to help her develop those skills. So I supported her in her journey to form that club. You found Toastmasters through Junior League. When you first went to that meeting, that very first meeting, what was it like? My very first Toastmasters meeting was a little bit different because it was a demo meeting. It was a club that was looking to to begin forming. And so we had some district leaders come and they role modeled. Um, if you're not familiar with the process, which I know you are, Don, but for any of our listeners, they role model, modeled an example Toastmasters meeting. And so we heard from some very accomplished speakers in the district. And then we were able to brainstorm a little bit about the vibe we wanted our club to have and why we had an interest in Toastmasters. Um, it was a lot of fun. We had a good time. And I can tell you that the women that all had interest in originally forming Toastmasters within the organization, because we're kind of a club within a club, were all really like-minded and very ambitious in wanting to grow in their leadership development. Um, in the junior league, there's a, a pretty robust volunteer leadership structure. So the leadership component was a strong, um, strong pull and a strong interest for a lot of the women that attended the meeting that had interest in aspirations to grow in the junior league leadership. And part of that is when you are in the, in a leadership position in junior league, you tend to find yourself on stages speaking. So that's a big component of being a leader in junior league. So it was a lot of fun. We had a good time. We did table topics and learned about what our club could be and how we could evolve that as we set forth on the chartering process. It sounds like junior league and Toastmasters are a really good fit. 
Yeah, they are a really good fit. Actually, I'm kind of surprised that there are not more junior leagues that have started Toastmasters clubs because most, most junior leagues um, have what's called a training council or team. And their, their goal or their role in junior league is to train the members. And so oftentimes they're creating trainings that are very similar to what we have in pathways as far as leadership and speaking and all the things like how to manage a committee and how to, you know, build a team and how to get people engaged. So I'm actually surprised there's not as many. I think last time I checked, there were three um, associated with junior leagues. And junior league is all over the country or the world? What's this? All over the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, that's a marketing idea for Toastmasters everywhere. If you're listening and you've got a junior league in your community, reach out to them. This is a great collaboration because those leaders in junior league can use the skills that Toastmasters helps to hone. Yeah. And what's really interesting, if I might add, is that they have what's called like a introductory year or a provisional year. And so many times that has a set start date. So for Phoenix, it's in August. And so we recruit members in March and then we say to them, oh, but we don't do anything till August. So kind of hang out. And what Junior League of Phoenix has done really well has said, hey, you know, Anybody who identifies as a woman can be a part of the Junior League Toastmasters. You should get involved in Toastmasters right away because that'll start your Junior League year. And those women have a smaller group experience and really find their connections within the Toastmasters group. A lot of them are really close friends. So we've used it as an advantage while our members are kind of holding out until our program starts, our training program to immerse them in our, in our organization. Again, sounds like a great, a great fit. Yeah. So now what are you doing in Toastmasters? You've been in for about five years. What have you been up to lately? Yeah, lately I have served as the club growth director assistant, which is helping clubs grow throughout the district. Um, I've served as an area director, a division director, and now I am the contest chair for the district. Contest season's coming. Yes. Remi- remind us what's coming in contest and when. Yeah, well, exciting news. It's only October and all the contest dates are on the District 3 calendar, which is super cool. So club contests are starting soon around you know early January and then shortly after the area contest will begin and then um, the division and then the district contest, of course, at conference in May. Sure. What are the contests this time? Uh, As usual, we'll have international speech competition and then table topics. So get ready. Super excited about that. You know, and obviously my team uh, will select those questions and we're excited about the questions that we've already started to put on the sheet. Now, I understand that you recently became part of the District 3 Speakers Bureau. Tell us about that. Tell us about the Speakers Bureau and your part in that. Yeah, well, I, I have been a professional speaker in a past career when I was working with college students. 
And I loved the opportunities that that brought. And I haven't been on stage in a while because I changed careers and have been doing some other things, but I've always had an interest in getting back to that. And then I also run a consulting, I have a consulting business where I do a lot of speaking and the Speakers Bureau really is about helping um, people who want to be professional speakers or who have aspirations to speak to larger audiences or maybe at conferences and share some of that knowledge. And they do a great job of helping those speakers develop their message and provide feedback with that. Um, so it's a prof- it can be a professional speaker path, but it's kind of a, a next step for speakers who want to advance. And I just joined and I'm super excited. You mentioned your career. What kind of work do you do, Sarah? You mentioned your consultant. What what kind of consulting do you do? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've had my consulting business for about 12 years. And my real sweet spot, I have an operations background. So my real sweet spot is working with business leaders or businesses. Sometimes companies will hire me to set a strategic plan and be able to achieve it without working kind of double time. So if it's for a business, it's how to achieve our goals without having our team having to work 24 hours a day, or a lot of sole entrepreneurs will reach out to me because they left their business and they wanted freedom. And then they created a business that allows them no freedom. So I (laughs) do a deep dive into their operations and identify the the automation possible automation points and help them automate that or really take a look at their day-to-day life and what's going on that's keeping them from being able to achieve their their goals or plans. I really appreciate the irony in what you just said. Somebody will leave a corporate job to get the freedom to do what they want to do and then they find they're in too deep as a sole proprietor and they're they're at sea. They they don't know how to handle everything, and they had other people helping do some of those things before in the corporate departments. So that's yeah. great. That's I work with a lot of women entrepreneurs who one of their reasons for leaving corporate culture is I just want to pick up my kids at at school. I want to be in the carpool lane. I want to be there. And then I talk to them several months later, and I'm like, "How's it going? Are you picking up your kids? Oh no, the nanny does that now." <laughs> and so we, we kind of talk about that. Sure, or sure. They're working at 10 o'clock at night. And I think a lot of times they don't realize they're so invested in that new baby of building a business that they don't know how to set the boundaries or, or create the things that in, in a lot of the corporations, they have a lot of money to create some of those softwares and those automations and, and sure. time and talent. And so I work with them on identifying those as priorities and then helping them break that down and move forward. Sounds like a great business you have, a good business model, very focused, which is one of the things that I've heard over and over when I talk to people who are in the Speakers Bureau, especially the professional speakers, is don't try to be everything to everybody. Mm -hmm. Pick your lane. Find your niche that is going to one have an audience or have a, a market and have an audience, and don't don't try to do everything for everybody because you can't. Yeah. And you've chosen a consulting business where it's highly focused. 
you know who you are reaching out to, you know the kinds of problems they're dealing with, and you can help them one-on-one. That's great. Yeah, it was an interesting start. I didn't, it actually chose me, I guess is what I would say. (laughs) I was working at a large company and I had, um, I guess I would call him kind of flip. My boss was just, he would just say things and you just knew that was how he was. And he came up to me one day and he said, Hey, can you go figure out what the top performers are doing? And, you know, put together some little training and deliver it for the bottom performers in case, in case HR ever needs it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It was a sales company. So, you know, and he was like, just one of those people would make a statement like that and you could go take that anyway. So he was really good about giving you the freedom of, you know, this is what we need to do and how you do it is fine, but just get that done. Right. And, um, so I'm a data and operations person and I happened to manage the training team and I went and sat with the top performers and I was floored because I thought these were like the best of the best. These were the people maxing out bonus and clearly they're going to give me all these tips of how to be successful in sales. And they were the least focused people I've ever met on the planet. (laughs) They were in the break room every five minutes. And I just walked away like, how, how are these our top people? And I sat with 25 people. So I watched them work. I spent 25 days watching people work and um, my brain is geared more data. And so I went to the business analyst and I said, something's just not right here. I want a full workup on all these, all the, they were all male at the time. I said, I want a full workup on all these guys. I want to know every time they log onto the computer, every time they answer an email, everything they're doing. And what I found out, oh, and I also went to HR and asked every time somebody's taken somebody on or off their insurance and what the reason why, because we had a high turnover at that company. And what I found is we also had a high divorce rate. And what I found is they actually were not efficient workers. They were outworking everybody. So two things that I noticed, most of them were working 60 to 80 hours a week. All of them were working on, on the major holidays. All of them were answering emails outside of their designated shift. So if they worked seven to three, they were still answering email at 10 o'clock at night. And so they were outworking everybody. And then the second part was we had systems in place that were allowing and encouraging this behavior. So we were giving people leads at midnight, even though they only worked at eight o'clock in the morning to, to three or four. And then we were rewarding them for responding to the leads really quickly and converting them. And so there were some systemic issues that had to be addressed. And there was also some how to work, like teaching people how to work. And I went to the C-suite and I said, is this the culture we wanna have at the company? that in order to be successful here, you have to work 60 hours plus a week and every holiday. And you have to respond to emails at midnight, even though you don't work at midnight. And they said no. And so then we went and created, well, we did create that little training that he asked me to create on how to work, um, but we made some major shifts in the company. And so what came from that was my consulting business because people were asking me, we, we made some very tough decisions and we said, 
If you walk out the door at four o'clock, your phone and your computer will no longer allow you to log on to our system. So you can't work. And we saw the divorce rate go down. We actually made more money. We had higher employee <laughs> satisfaction. It was like a whole thing. And then people started asking me, can you help my wife? Can you help my husband's company? Can you do this? And so it was kind of born from there. It's interesting as you're describing that process, mm-hmm. the kind of the standard overworker, you know, top worker willing to put in all those hours is often rewarded, as you said, mm-hmm. to the detriment of everyone's well-being. And, yeah. and you've you went to your management and they agreed. That's the astounding part of your story. That says they were willing to make some changes. They probably had a feeling about this already. They yeah, just didn't have really- the data. They they didn't have your analysis and your and your recommendations. Yeah. Well, it was a common topic at um, leadership meetings. Why are our top people leaving? Why are they getting out of the field? How come, you know, people are burnt out? And what I really found, and then I actually went to the people who were only working 40 hours and that's where the sweet spot was because those people, they were, people would call them steady eddies. Oh, you can count on him for four a month, but he won't give you any more than that. And it was like, yeah, okay. Then when I really looked at it, maybe four a month is realistic. <laughs> maybe especially that's... If, yeah. And especially if yeah. you can get a whole bunch of folks yeah. who are that efficient. And now, like you said, the organization as a whole is improved. That's, mm-hmm. that's brilliant. And what was even more interesting is when you aggregated their hours, the top people, they actually were middle to bottom performers. They were just yeah. on email more. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and the big thing is we made more money. We told our customers like our employees will work the, this, these hours. And then what was really cool is we put systems in place. So if you always worked with Don, but Don, you know, your shift was up, we had a team that took emergency requests and we had this, and then they reconnected in the morning and it did take a lot of work. It took several years, but the culture was different. We became one of the top companies to work for. And it was cool. Well, and that metric of fewer divorces, you know, that you, you don't think about that. in when you're analyzing company data, you're looking at sales and, and market share and all of that, but what's the human cost? Mm-hmm. And that's not often, it's difficult to put into a number, but you saw the pattern. Yeah. And also not only that, like they, when we said, you can no longer do this after four. You can no longer work more than 40 hours. People were like, what am I going to do? They were not happy. (laughs) And later they came back and said, you know, you saved my marriage. I actually started picking up my kids and and being present and not being on my phone all the time. And people noticed. I could actually have a life. (laughs) Yeah. I could, I could have a hobby. I could go and do something, you know, for myself. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Sarah, I, that's a great story, and I, I appreciate the fact that you're now doing that for small business and sole, uh, sole proprietors who are trying to accomplish some of those same things without having a big corporate department to back them up. Yeah. If someone were to be interested in your services, 
Do you have a website? Yeah, I do have a website. So it's sarahmayer.com and anybody can find me there for most of the work that I'm doing with changing culture. That would be, you know, having a, a introductory call, determining what you're really looking for. But I do help people who, you know, can take an online course or just use some of my basic services and just tips and tricks for any companies or any employer that that would be the best way to get in touch with me. And then we can go from there. Okay. Well, I'll make sure to include your, your website in the show notes. If you were to give some advice to someone who's heard about the speakers bureau, but they're not quite sure whether they should be involved. Do you have anything, any words for them? Well, I think the first thing I would say is whenever you're not sure if you should be involved, that usually means you should be involved. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So my words of advice would be come check it out because it is, if you're a Toastmaster or if you're not, um, just check it out and see if it may be something that would interest you. I think that what I found from the Speakers Bureau is the deeper level of evaluation and the real focus on clarifying a message and um, like-minded people who are all trying to do similar things as well. And then they also get reached out to for by companies and and other businesses that want speakers. So it's a great opportunity to have some doors opened as well. Yeah. There's a clearinghouse feature that people who are looking for speakers for their event can contact the speakers bureau and get a reference. Yeah. Now, uh, how often does the Speakers Bureau meet? Is a regular, a regular schedule? Yeah, it's typically twice a month, um, and I, it's on Wednesday, so I think it might be the first and third, or the second and fourth. It depends okay. on the month. They can get the information more about that on the district webpage. That's okay. aztoastmasters.org, and find your way to the Speakers Bureau page, and that'll have all that information. Yeah. And I think also you'll find that the speeches every time, typically there's three, sometimes less. The speeches are really interesting. There's usually a training component and you might learn something about a topic you'd never thought about. <laughs> Again, in a context of expert learning, mm-hmm. that's the thing that I, I've not checked out one of the new speakers bureaus meetings. I may do that just so that I'm better informed for these podcasts that I'm doing. Sarah, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're, you've got a busy schedule. You've got all, you probably had five calls for new clients coming in as we've spoken here today. (laughs) (laughs) I hope anyway, thank you so much for being on the podcast and I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for having me and thank you for doing this and everything you've done for the district. I know that the podcast is really been your baby. And I've listened to several episodes. It's a great podcast, always interesting guests as well. And you do a great job. Well, you just added another interesting guest to the list. Her name is Sarah Mayer. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. To volunteer to be featured on the podcast or to suggest future topics, Write podcast at aztoastmasters.org. That email again is podcast at 
aztoastmasters.org. Toastmasters International and all other Toastmasters International trademarks and copyrights are the sole property of Toastmasters International. This podcast is independent of Toastmasters International. It is not endorsed by, sponsored by, affiliated with, or otherwise connected with Toastmasters International other than for the use of the name Toastmasters International.